0: At this very moment, large, well-organised caravans of migrants are marching toward our southern border. Some people call it an invasion. It's like an invasion. And we've already dispatched for the border the United States military, and they will do the job.
1: That was President Donald Trump addressing the press in October 2018. At the time, thousands of migrants, refugees and asylum seekers from Honduras, Nicaragua, Guatemala and El Salvador had joined together in a caravan travelling more than 4,000 kilometres to the US border. Today on Changemakers, our story travels from Central America to North America to explore how 7,000 people created a unique, constantly evolving organisation that defied the US president. Like millions before them, they were fleeing their homes because of violence and poverty. But this time, they were doing it together. What did they learn? And what can we learn from their solidarity? Let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemakers, the podcast telling stories about people changing the world. We are supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney, they break down barriers between researchers, policymakers, and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy-lab. And you can sign up to our email list at changemakerspodcast.org. The interviews in today's episode were undertaken in late 2018 in Mexico by our reporter Mark Isaacs who also wrote this episode. In reporting this story, we'll only use the first names of caravan members to protect their identity.
2: In Honduras, when we see a patrol,
3: we do not know whether to run or to hide because we don't know if, we, if they are the police or the death squad.
1: That's Antonio, a 27-year-old Honduran. He, like thousands of others, joined the migrant caravan in 2018. He had good reason to flee. He lived in constant fear of his life. Central America isn't exactly the most stable place in the world. Decades of political interference by the United States has taken its toll. Many of the Central American countries have endured civil war, and most suffer widespread poverty and violence. Eric is from neighbouring El Salvador.
3: My
0: country is in chaos at the moment. It's ruled by gangs. My eldest son was 21 years old when the gangs killed him. His death was worse than how animals are killed.
1: What would you do if you were in that situation? I know what I would do. I'd probably do what hundreds of thousands of Central Americans do every year, and have done for decades.
4: For Central Americans, probably after the 1950s, when the US started invading those countries and imposing dictatorships in those countries, a lot of people started fleeing from those countries, seeking asylum in the U.S. or in Mexico, or just looking for better opportunities or for a job.
1: It's not the safest thing to do.
4: They they can have accidents while hopping into the beast, which is the train that crosses Mexico. Uh, nasty accidents like losing a limb or even dying. Uh, they they have confrontation with the cartels, with the police. Uh, Kid strokes, diseases, uh, men, men <coughs> migrants are used in labor camps to produce cocaine, heroin, weed, whatever. The cartels are doing a lot of them. Uh, the ones that are younger can be recluded with the cartels uh, to be part of their hitmen. Uh, women are forced into prostitution. Uh, kids are forced into prostitution, pornography. Uh, traffic organs, all those awful, awful things happen in Mexico.
1: This dangerous journey is made all the more risky because Mexican and American governments also work to stymie migration flows. In 2014, under Obama, the US began funding Mexico's Southern Border Plan to control and limit northerly migration through Mexico. The Mexican government stationed police and soldiers at the Guatemalan border. Since then, Mexico has deported more than half a million Central Americans, including almost 82,000 in 2018. Yet despite all these risks, migrants and refugees continue to attempt the journey. In fact, a whole industry of people smugglers has popped up to make money out of taking refugees through Mexico. They are called
2: coyotes. <inaudible> We
3: cannot go along to the border because there are narcos that are in charge. Before you arrive at the border, you have to contact the coyote. They charge you. It's a mafia, but it's a good way to avoid getting kidnapped.
1: That was Vincent. Tina is another migrant who used a coyote to try and cross the border with her children.
5: It took four days, and they put us in a place like a cellar. Oh, it was horrible because there were more than a hundred people, and the cellar was small. That heat was unimaginable. There was only one bathroom for all these people.
1: Tina and her children were caught by Mexican immigration officers and placed in detention.
5: We were there for a month, in that place, one month and six days. It was awful because I have claustrophobia. There were heaps of people, mountains of people in there. My children said that they would never in their lives want to experience that again. I understand the reason, because they are kids who don't like to be locked up.
1: The point is, everyone knows that fleeing to the U.S. comes with incredible risk. But for many, it's also their only hope for a better life. The real problem was doing it alone. It often meant ending up in the organised crime syndicates in Mexico. It's one thing to know you can't do something alone, but it's another entirely to organise a powerful, functional group of people to do it together. The caravan in 2018, like so many social movements, was born of an existential crisis. Out of that crisis, an organisation eventually congealed. But it didn't start as an organisation. In fact, to many participants, it didn't feel planned at all. Elena Alderman is a human rights defender who ended up travelling with the caravan.
6: So the folks that, that left Honduras weren't necessarily gathering because they all had a similar end goal. They left because they just could not stand like, the... the, the Collection of injustices that they were experiencing, which includes uh, like rampant human rights violations by the state, uh, incredible levels of gang violence, and uh, the corruption from Juan Orlando, uh, the president of Honduras.
1: There wasn't some kind of charismatic figure leading the caravan. Neni Martinez, a volunteer, says it was far more spontaneous than that.
2: La caravana empieza por la injusticia de nuestro gobierno.
3: Se publica por Facebook. For WhatsApp, for Twitter. The caravan started to exit because of the injustices of our government. It was published on Facebook, WhatsApp, Twitter. People saw an opportunity to escape the injustice that our government is causing People did not think 24 hours or 12 hours or an hour to go out. I thought about it 10 minutes to leave my country. There are no leaders, there are only guides. They follow a green vest, follow an orange vest, follow a national flag, and there he goes.
1: A lack of obvious leadership was, in some ways, a necessity. Leaders could be arrested, corrupted or killed. At the same time, the simple existence of injustice doesn't explain how a powerful social movement begins. Social change is rarely that spontaneous. So what happened here? Weeks before the caravan formed, there were some small groups in Honduras preparing to leave. But instead of braving the journey individually, this time they decided to do it together for their own protection. Immediately, news of the emerging caravan spread, first by word of mouth and news reports. But it was social media where the idea really caught on fire. Bartolo Fuentes, an independent Honduran journalist and former lawmaker, was one of many voices who used Facebook in September 2018 to call upon the people of Honduras to organise.
2: Go out screaming to the world that you are leaving because you have been robbed of opportunities and because those who should protect you have become threats to your lives.
1: Fuentes uploaded an image onto his public Facebook account advertising that the migrant walk would commence from the Grand Terminal of San Pedro Sula in Honduras at 8am on the 12th of October. This image was shared 245 times. Because of this, some suggested Fuentes organised the caravan, a claim Fuentes refutes. He argues he wasn't the organiser. Violence and poverty made the caravan possible.
2: They are looking for scapegoats because the government does not want to recognise that here we have a terrible human tragedy that people can no longer bear, that a mother and a father with their children who have no work do not have food that they are leaving their house because they cannot pay rent because they are elsewhere looking for opportunities.
1: Fuentes didn't create the caravan, but nor did injustice alone. A mix of toxic politics, nascent social connections, trusted messengers and a dash of social media all played a role. When the caravan left the city of San Pedro Sula, about 160 people joined the walk. It looked unremarkable. But there was something powerful in the propaganda of the deed. The caravan was a walking symbol that offered people the opportunity to escape by creating the possibility of safe travel. And so the 160 people started working their way north. And as they did, their groups started to grow. In region after region, people joined the caravan. People from Honduras, then El Salvador and Nicaragua. By the time they arrived in Guatemala, Their group numbered more than 3,000. It was no longer a small symbol of hope. It was something altogether different. Up until Guatemala, there was no formal organisational structure. But its size, shape and the way in which the caravan was moving was completely different to when it had begun just weeks before. It became clear they needed a means to make decisions, a way to organise themselves, it was in Guatemala where the caravan assembly was born. Human rights defender Andres Teres Checa explains:
4: The way the assemblies work is that every day, between six or eight p.m., uh, migrants, migrants from the caravan get together and they talk about what are the possible next scenarios to take and when, where, where, to walk, where, to, where to walk and at what time to wake up to walk. And they have this discussion. It's an open mic. Any migrant can can participate in these assemblies. And at the end of the day, uh, migrants vote what uh, route to take and what time to wake up.
1: The assembly created a process for mass decision making, whether they were deciding where to walk or how to feed themselves. This idea is not new. It looks and sounds like participatory democracy. Greek style. Except unlike in ancient Greece, this polis included women and the landless. The caravan needed a space like the assembly. It was made up of people from multiple countries, different kinds of families, and no one really knew each other. The assembly helped this highly diverse group work out the practical questions of how to live together, while they slowly moved towards their hopes for a better life. The caravan used its diversity to help it organise. Committees were made up of representatives from the different cities and regions in Central America that were recruited along the way.
2: A committee was formed that was named by the Assembly. From each department, they named the representative. In my case, they named me as the representative from Tegucigalpa. Walter
1: was a taxi driver in Tegucigalpa, the capital city of Honduras. He fled threats from MS-13 gang members who killed one of his colleagues. He had to leave behind his wife and two children.
2: In Guatemala, it was formed in Equipula. That's where the committee was formed. Groups of people were formed to direct us. Each person was in charge of each group or department to do the cleaning up, form a security committee and to engage in dialogue. When there was something to discuss, us as representatives would take decisions to the Assembly. In the end, what the Assembly says is what is done.
1: The committee structure provided the caravan with an operational process. It was a dash of representative democracy in what was a highly participatory system. The coordinators were responsible for negotiating with local governments and non-government organisations, managing transport and accommodation, medical care and food. They arranged for volunteers from within the caravan to help guide people to each destination, arranged rides on trucks and ensured nobody was left behind. There might not have been one leader in charge, but there was no lack of leadership. The assembly was full of
6: leaders. It's like a, developing a government, basically, yeah. with representatives from each state.
1: Eventually, the migrants arrived at the Suchiate River, which divides Mexico and Guatemala. Knowing the caravan was approaching... Mexican police arranged their own arrival party. They closed the border and then, for added effect, fired tear gas at the migrants.
0: Meanwhile, a caravan of migrants is one step closer to the United States after a chaotic confrontation at the Mexico-Guatemala border. Mexican police threw tear gas and smoke canisters to push back the crowd of thousands from the border gates.
1: The caravan might have established a radical form of internal governance, but they were going to need more help from here on in. One source of inspiration for the 2018 caravan came from previous caravans of migrants who had travelled north together from inside Mexico. Hironeo Mujica is a human rights defender in Mexico and helped organise the first caravan of migrants.
2: The ways of the CROSS movement started many years ago in Arriaga. I believe that was the first way of the CROSS mobilization, where we took out the CROSS and walked around the town as a way to show what was happening, and from that we organized another one, far to Huchitán, and then one to the border. This movement grew slowly as a way to make visible the situation of the migrant. Right from the start, the
1: caravans have employed Christian symbols and practices. These icons gave the caravans a transcendent quality. Not only that, many of the migrants like Nini were devout Christians, often using Biblical language and seeing their struggle in religious terms.
3: The leader of us is the Holy Spirit. It is God.
1: These processions started during Lent as part of the Via Crucis. The Stations of the Cross, the annual Catholic tradition of reenacting Jesus Christ's path to Mount Calvary on the day of his crucifixion. In 2010, Mexican authorities discovered a mass grave of 72 migrants in Tamaulipas. In response, a procession was organised with an overtly political agenda. It was designed to raise awareness about Central American migration through Mexico.
4: In Catholic religion, uh, that's very intense like moment of the year, and it's like really representing all the suffering that Jesus went through for our sins and for humankind. Then in
1: 2014, a procession of over a thousand people marched all the way to the US border. The movement was becoming emboldened. Since then, a network of Mexican civil society groups have mounted annual caravans to the border.
4: There's this network, there's this grid of shelters there's this grid of activists, of human rights commissions, all across Mexico. This network, this big network of shelters uh, and activists that have been working for, I've well, been working on uh, migration-related topics for the past 20 years. Three different times. Yeah. One, you have the state commissions, human rights commissions. Yeah. Okay, that's one. Two. Uh, this is no level of importance. It's just. Numbering them. Two, you have the religious organizations, okay? Like local churches, local priests, local nuns, okay? And third, you have civil society organizations, uh, and they coordinate themselves to be sure that everyone gets to their uh, destination as safe as possible and try to avoid any kind of uh, dangers on the road.
1: So if there were already organised caravans that moved annually through Mexico, why did this one get so much attention?
4: But this caravan, uh, it's very different because this caravan was organised from Honduras. It completely surpassed any kind of organisation within Mexico.
1: But it wasn't just where it came from, it was how it was organised. So
4: this is more of a, like, anarchic way of organisation. Uh, And it's it's very difficult to say that there is one leader or a handful of leaders deciding for this abstract mass of people.
6: The word that the folks here use is is exodus, exo centroamericano, which is uh, folks that have basically had enough and they had no other choice but to spontaneously uh, organise and leave. An exodus.
1: The sheer number of people who joined in the caravan made it different. But this caravan wasn't just different because of who was part of the caravan. It was different because of when it happened.
4: The caravan happened in a very uh, interesting political scenario in the US, which was the midterm relations. So, and it's, no, it's no, no secret that Donald Trump, since the presidential run of 2016, is very vocal about migration. It's against migration, it's against refugees, and he's particularly against Latino migrants, which, in the US case, are basically either Mexican or Central American.
1: That was Andres again, the Mexican human rights defender. President Trump made this caravan different. It took centre stage in his 2018 midterm election strategy.
0: Because many of those people, a percentage, a big, fairly big percentage of those people are criminals. And they want to come into our country. And they're criminals. And it's not happening on my watch. It's not going to happen.
1: There were early signs that things would be different because of President Trump. Just six months before our caravan left Honduras, in April 2018, a migrant caravan organised inside of Mexico had travelled to the US border. At its peak, it was reported to number about 1,500 people. Many of the parents and children of the caravan who sought asylum in the United States were separated under a new Trump policy. This next audio may be distressing to some listeners. The child in that audio clip is saying, my daddy, my daddy. The other says, can I at least go with my aunt? I want her to come so she can take me to her home. The timing of the Honduras caravan meant it was going to be more politicised than any other in history.
0: At high noon, the bridge over the border was empty. But then for some reason, Guatemalan police threw open the gates.
3: No.
6: Cerrado,
0: it's closed. It's closed. The first tried to form an orderly line, but that lasted only seconds, as thousands surged behind them with a mixture of exuberance and frustration
6: and determination.
4: When the migrants crossed the bridge in from Tecunumán to Ciudad Hidalgo, which is Tecunumán, Guatemala, Ciudad Hidalgo, Chiapas, there was a big confrontation with the police, with the Mexican border police there. And they had a terrible night uh, where they were repressed by the police and they were tear-gassed by the police.
1: David, a young man from Honduras, saw the clash.
2: No estaba disponible El Paso en el puente, eh, la cual fue muy complicado, verdad? Muchos, muchas personas, eh, migrantes parte la There was no passing for anyone at the bridge. It was complicated. A lot of people, migrants were desperate. They broke up out of the gate to pass into Mexico. Then the federal police opposed them in a violent way. After a while everything calmed down and everyone waited patiently until the moment they would open the door. Others jumped from the bridge, many paid to cross the river, others swam across. In the end, everyone realised that you could easily pass through the river and arrive in Mexico.
1: Up until the caravan sought to cross from Guatemala into Mexico, borders hadn't been a problem. Travel agreements ensured that citizens of Nicaragua, Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador could freely pass throughout the region without restrictions or checks. But Mexico was part of North America. And it wasn't just the border clash being in mexico brought fears of detention and deportation by mexican authorities but the legacies of caravans past created opportunities for this exodus elena alderman volunteers with pueblo san fronteras,
6: pueblo san fronteras and other groups i mean it um it typically works with with migrants that are already in mexico so folks that have already made the decision to leave their homes yeah we're, we're working with folks to create platforms to organize um, We, in the past, have helped with logistics and organising other smaller caravans, and so we know the routes, and we came down once the caravan came to Mexico.
1: Pueblos en Fronteras, or People Without Borders, was one of the principal groups involved in the Via Crucis movement and the past caravans. By travelling with the exodus, their volunteers connected people with existing civil society networks and helped coordinate shelters, transport and other services. They embedded themselves within the caravan and assumed numerous organising roles such as coordinating media, WhatsApp groups, issuing press releases and helping coordinate public assemblies. The experienced Pueblos en Fronteras volunteers brought another layer of organisational strength to the caravan. At a time, they really needed it. Over the next two months, the migrant network worked to arrange safe passage of the exodus through Mexico.
4: Human rights defenders that are on the ground, walking walking with them, we're just, like, accompanying them. And making sure that that decision that the caravan uh, voted on is respected, and that they can get to the next city, and be sure that in that next city there'll be a shelter, food, uh, uh, medical supplies, doctors. So that's the way the caravan has been organizing.
1: By November, the caravan arrived in Mexico City. There, the city government, a self-declared sanctuary city, hosted the exodus at the Magdalena Meshukah Sporting Complex. They were joined by a congregation of international and local NGOs and health and welfare services. Saul and his friends were one of the many unofficial groups who brought clothes to donate to the
3: migrants.
2: We just brought a collection that we put together at our school. We invited the students to donate their clothes, mainly for the cold.
1: Our reporter Mark Isaacs was at the stadium, speaking to volunteers like Marlene from the Mexican Institute for Psychology of Emergencies gave him an insight into the hardships of the journey.
5: It really is a hard situation for them, causing post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety.
1: In Mexico City, the Assembly started to diversify. Alongside its geographic committees, it established a committee of women and mothers with children and a trans committee. On the 8th of November, the caravan had to make a crucial decision about when and how they would travel to the US border. People gathered in the assembly to decide the route. Should they take the perceived safer route along the west coast to the city of Tijuana or the shorter but more dangerous route along the east coast through the state of Tamaulipas? (laughs) Hundreds of people, predominantly men, crowded around a temporary stage inside the Athletic Stadium where the members of the Exodus were housed. Our reporter Mark was among them. While the crowd waited for the assembly to begin, loudspeakers played reggaeton and the crowd danced. When it was time to start the assembly, the music was turned off and half the crowd protested. (laughs) By this time, As a caravan of almost 7,000 people, assemblies were a complicated space to make difficult decisions. Walter took the stage and argued for the safer route to Tijuana. Although the Assembly voted to leave for Tijuana the following day, the next morning, the majority of the people did not wake up. The men who voted at the Assembly did not represent the true demographics of the exodus. The families were not ready to leave.
2: All the support, they do it mostly for the children and the women. They don't do it for the men. For many years, the men have migrated as a train of men and nobody did anything for them. Today, they do it for the children and the women. The
1: Assembly may have been open to everyone, but not everyone always turned up. There was a counterbalancing force to the Assembly's decisions. Here, the families... The silent majority of the exodus were voting with their feet. The caravan's organisational challenges created spaces for cracks to show. They weren't political divisions, but growing doubts as to whether the caravan could actually provide collective safety. Outside of major cities like Mexico City, the sheer number of people stretched the network's capacity to ensure safe travel through the country. Wherever the caravan stopped, shelters were overcrowded and beyond capacity. As a result, people were often forced to sleep on the street. Cities and local governments began to withdraw their support.
6: Hello
0: comrades, I'm Felipe here from People Without Borders. We are a big group of more or less 5,000 people leaving Guadalajara. Last night, the government secretary of Jalisco promised us help to arrive at our next location. He said that although the Benito Juarez Stadium in the city had been prepared to receive more migrants this week, he told us, you have to leave Guadalajara.
1: It was a bitter pill. Jalisco is one of the richest states in Mexico. The state agreed to arrange transportation for members of the exodus from Guadalajara to the next state north. Unfortunately, that state was still suffering the consequences of a recent hurricane.
0: This morning, the buses left at five in the morning. Trusting the governor, we left, and they left us 100 kilometres from the highway.
1: Thus began the dislocation of the exodus across northwest Mexico. It
2: was very, very complicated
3: because the buses didn't come and everyone was walking. Others were in trucks.
1: Most people, like Antonio, managed to hitch rides to the meeting point at the state border, where they waited with the rest of the exodus for buses to Sinaloa. From there, people were loaded on and off buses at seemingly random locations on unknown highways for days on end, until they reached Mexicali and the US border. Many members of the exodus who were not part of the planning committee had little to no knowledge of how transport was being arranged. They just waited and hoped buses would arrive to pick them up and take them to the next
2: location. Bojoa, pero estamos sin transporte, sin comida, sin agua, y como ves. We are without
3: transport, without food, without water. There's a lot of people gathered here, but there isn't transport until now. So far, only four buses have left. They said they will arrange more, but there isn't transport.
1: That was Antonio, stranded on a highway in the desert state of Sonora, in an area where drug cartels were known to operate. Earlier in the journey, in the state of Puebla, it was reported that 100 members of the caravan, including women and children, went missing. Human rights activists claim the migrants were kidnapped and handed over to Los Zetas, a notorious drug cartel. During this period of dislocation, two buses of men, women, and children were stopped on the main highway in Sonora by personnel from the National Institute of Migration and the Federal Police. The migrants were detained and threatened with deportation. In the following days, the National Human Rights Commission arranged for the detained people to be released and to be transferred to two migrant shelters. It was a frightening experience, but ultimately they were given their freedom. Eventually, the members of the exodus arrived in Tijuana. The border was close, but it still had to be crossed. Mexico's border towns are a place of mixed emotion for any migrant hoping to get to the United States.
5: I thought, I'm so close, really close, just one pass, just one pass, and I thought, I'm going to get there. It won't be long now. It is a sensation of feeling good, but at the same time, it feels like impotence. Impotence in being unable to cross that wall. But it feels good
1: because we are here. But in Tijuana, a new organisation was needed. Now people needed to come together based on how they wanted to cross into the United States. The majority of people, especially the families, women and children, intended to claim asylum at the US border. Immigration lawyer Anna Joseph
7: explains the process. So first they'll wait outside the... the the court of entry, um, it changes day to day how long the wait is, but generally weeks. Um, then they will have, they will go to something called the hielería, which is a short-term detention center um, where they will wait partially there and partially in another detention center likely for their credible fear interviews, it's called the hielera because it's so cold, um, people faint, there's not enough food, there's not enough water, there are very thin blankets, Um, Yeah, it's a really horrible situation. And then they will have a credible fear interview. Then after that interview, likely they'll be detained long-term because Trump is trying to detain everyone up until their um, hearings. And that could be up to three years. In the past, more people were released to wait for their hearings, because why cage people who have done nothing wrong and are fleeing violence for up to three years? You know, Trump says that people then don't return for their hearings, but that's not what the statistics show. So he is trying to detain everyone and, uh, as part of a strategy to deter future caravans.
1: Gradually, people would be allowed entry into the United States to start the asylum-seeking process. But it's very slow. The asylum process is too
4: slow, I mean, it's like 40, 40 people a day, Donald Trump has, has tried to make this a circus like everything else, to, to try to supposedly stop, or trying to protect, trying to gain votes, basically use it politically, and, and, and they're not taking as many numbers.
1: But some members of the exodus, like Walter, preferred to claim asylum in Mexico.
2: In my case, I am not overly interested in the United States. I am thinking about applying for political asylum here in Mexico because there is a lot of work. There is a good president, Mr. López Obrador.
1: And according to the UNHCR, applications for asylum in Mexico are increasing. But in the meantime, the ongoing presence of migrants in the city and ongoing disruptions to the border crossings cause tension in Tijuana. (laughs) In November, an anti-migrant protest attracted no more than a hundred people, but their message was amplified by their anger.
2: We don't
0: have problems with the immigration, we have a problem with invasion. The caravan are invaders. They are invaders. They're not immigrants that come here to work. They believe they're on holidays. They come to make rubbish. They're ungrateful. Why do they complain they don't have anything to eat? Why do they have children? Why do they have children if they're not capable of looking after them? Why do they reproduce? On
1: Sunday, the 25th of November, 2018, members of the Exodus organized their own, much larger, peaceful march to the US Mexico border to protest against the slow processing of asylum claims by the United States government. They are saying... We are the hope of Latin America. Red-stained are the borders, because it's there where the working class is killed. When members of the march evaded police blockades, the action got out of hand. Hundreds of people streamed towards the border wall. Tear gas was fired on men, women, and children, and our reporter, Mark.
4: Just got tear gas.
3: Fucking eyes are running. The throat's fucking killing me. It's not pleasant. The, 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 the march is,
4: uh, is something that was supposed to be peaceful. Uh, it got out of control and people tried to... People that, uh, that saw the cows on the, on the march and they, they decided, some of them decided to try to cross the border. Um, it wasn't that many, because if, if you're talking about 5,000, only like 50 or, or 60 people went through another place and, and tried to cross in.
1: As the tension in Tijuana grew, Many people from the caravan felt the need to cross the border sooner rather than later. But not everyone intended to claim asylum. Many didn't trust the US government and were fearful that they wouldn't be eligible for asylum. Some decided to jump the border wall in Tijuana. Vincent explains how the wall works.
2: The
3: wall has different designs. Not all is equal. There are parts you can see through, It is not completely closed. I jumped over it and crossed to the other side.
1: Bill Clinton first began the installation of a border wall in 1993. It's not one continuous structure, and there are long stretches of the 2,000-mile border that have no physical barrier, the longest of which is more than 600 miles. As of August 2017, only 705 miles had pedestrian fencing or vehicle fencing. As it is, the various border walls cost billions of dollars to maintain. Marco was at the Tijuana border wall, preparing to cross.
3: So you're saying that tonight you were going to try and get across the wall? That's correct. And then what's the plan? Just
0: run, run for it. Run for it, try to make it to the city then.
1: Tijuana is one of Mexico's and the world's most dangerous cities. People trying to cross the border are particularly vulnerable to attacks and kidnapping from drug cartels who control the border territories and drug smuggling routes.
3: No, they run this. You know? This is their place. Is, they they do the police, judges, how they want. They're more into the holy death than to anything else. So, well, it's, it's, ain't nothing for them. Ain't nothing to them. Policia the and killers. They don't know us. You know. Jesus was
1: lucky to escape with his life.
2: We were going. We were going. Ahead in the street, a man came out and we looked at him take out a gun, a pistol, and boom, he tried to shoot us, to kill us. But when I saw the man take out the gun, I quickly ran away and everyone followed me.
1: Some paid people smugglers to help them cross. Others, who couldn't afford to pay, smuggled drugs across the border for the cartels.
3: One is looking for an option to cross into the United States, right? Because the only option that we have, the many who have been deported, is for working for the mafia, getting drugs to the United States.
1: A lot of people, like Antonio, didn't make it. Meanwhile, President Trump's rhetoric around the border and migration was becoming histrionic.
0: But we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals.
1: By December, the tension was overflowing. In the US, sections of the media called the exodus a border crisis. President Trump used the opportunity to turn the caravan into a proxy war for his failing plan to build a wall executing a partial government shutdown until the Senate approved funds for construction of the border wall.
0: We're going to have a wall. We're going to have safety. Uh, We need safety for our country, even from this standpoint. We have terrorists coming in through the southern border.
1: Although border walls are a physical impediment to drug traffickers and undocumented migrants, there is no clear evidence that these walls are successful deterrence. Instead... The events in Tijuana suggest that border walls push undocumented migrants into more dangerous routes, often involving criminal networks and smugglers, to reach the United States Territory. What the caravan made abundantly clear is that a border wall doesn't stop people from fleeing violence, corruption and poverty. If policymakers in the United States really want to stop people migrating north, Perhaps they should examine their own foreign policies and resolve the ongoing issues in origin countries like Honduras and El Salvador.
5: The only people who don't try to get out are the ones who don't have any
1: ambition. In many ways, the migrant caravan was a success. Its original intention was to provide its members safer travel to the US border, which, for the most part, it did. The connection with Mexican civil society groups mitigated many of the risks and help them arrange transport and accommodation across isolated routes. It wasn't perfect, but it was much better than travelling alone. As David Abood, a volunteer with Pueblo Sin Fronteras, sees it, while the physical caravan formally ended when it arrived at the US border, the movement goes on.
4: So now in the US, um, we have different... We're we're trying to (laughs) organise... members of the caravan who are now in the US and have been released from detention centers. and so working with people that are still detained and then with people that have been de- that, that, are, that have been detained and are now and are now out, it's a process of politicization um, and also a process of like building community and support.
1: The migrant caravan has also been an inspiration to others. Immediately after the Exodus set out from Honduras, smaller caravans began organizing in Central America and leaving for the United States including one in El Salvador. President Trump's proxy war had unintended consequences. The caravan shed light on some of the darker practices of the US immigration department and border security, such as its treatment of child detainees, including the deaths of two migrant children while in custody. But there were also lessons in how the exodus held itself together through extraordinary adversity. But there was no Moses here. The caravan's leadership was diffuse and horizontal. As Andres Checker explains, this exodus shows how a different kind of leadership can work.
4: Especially the media, it's very uh, used to looking for leaders in social movements. They they really crave that idea of the leader in in social movements. And a lot of the movements that are happening now are very horizontal and lack those visible leaderships. And I I will actually say that a lot of them have been successful uh, have been successful thanks to a lack of leadership.
1: Unlike in so many demonstrations where changemakers march through the streets for symbolic reasons, this march across continents was eminently practical. It was contagious. It was confronting. It was something anyone could do and anyone could join. It was a tremendous action that generated thousands of reactions.
4: Migrants do something amazing which is they challenge the whole system with something very simple, which is walking. They only walk, and they challenge the whole the whole system. Migrants don't arrive to the country and they call federal authorities to negotiate. No, they just keep walking. You walk with the caravan in some of the most poor and violent uh, municipalities in the country, and even there, you don't starve. You're, you always have something to eat. You always ha- have somewhere to stay. There's a level of empathy at the very, 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 very uh, low level of grassroots, grassroots organization. And I, I think that sometimes when you look at media, the Mexican media that portrays migrants as invaders, violent invaders, they don't empathize with the migrants because they're not going through that level of violence that migrants are going through.
1: Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all our episodes. This is series three, so there's plenty to be inspired by in our back catalogue. Changemakers is produced by me. This series is written by Mark Isaacs, David Hunt, Charles Firth and Amanda Tattersall. Our audio producer is Jules Wookerer. Our sponsoring organisation is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers, and community campaigners so we can build change together. And you can check them out at sydney.edu.au/backslash policy/lab. We are also supported by Amnesty International, Settlement Services International, and the Organising Cities project funded by the Halloran Trust based at the University of Sydney. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org all the transcripts and updates on our stories and don't forget to register for one of our masterclasses if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of change making all the details on our website changemakerspodcast.org